Hi, everybody. This is Bridget F. Welcome to the Daily Reflection Podcast. Welcome to the Daily Reflection Podcast. My name is Michael Lynn from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And I'm Lee McGinnis from Leesburg, Virginia. As members of the recovery community, we created this podcast as a way to provide experience, strength, and hope through the lens of the Daily Reflection book. Each day, we interview members of the recovery community in the hope that their experience may provide inspiration. We value inclusion and diversity, and we really want to provide a platform for all the voices of recovery. We aren't affiliated with any 12-step or recovery program, but you may hear these mentioned throughout the course of an interview. Hey, before we get to the show, I'd like to ask a favor. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, it'd be great if you could leave us a comment or a rating. This is going to do a couple of things. It's going to help us expand our reach and improve the show. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Okay, today is August 23rd, and I'm in the studio with Bridget F. from Frederick, Maryland. Bridget, welcome to the show. It's great to have you on the podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. Fantastic. So we get started in the same way every day. We ask the guest to read the Daily Reflection for today. Again, it's August 23rd. Bridget, would you get us started? Yes. Today's uh, Daily Reflection is bringing the message home. Can we bring the same spirit of love and tolerance into our sometimes deranged family lives that we bring to our AA group? This is from the 12 Steps and 12 Traditions, pages 111 to 112. My family members suffer from the effects of my disease, loving and accepting them as they are, just as I love and accept AA members, fosters a return of love, tolerance, and harmony to my life. Using common courtesy and respecting others' personal boundaries are necessary practices for all areas of my life. Thanks for reading that. Uh, It's a good reflection, as they all are, I suppose. Uh, But this one has me thinking about my conduct and my behavior. So before we begin, Bridget, would you share your sobriety date? So my sobriety date is November 1st, 2004. Great. The Daily Reflection talks about bringing the same type of behavior and and tolerance that we have in AA home to our family members. I want to ask you, do you relate to this? And what are your thoughts on the reflection for the day? So the first thing that this reflection made me think of is that um, that section in the big book in Into Action, where the guy comes up out of the cyclone cellar and says, ain't it grandma, the wind stopped blowing. He's kind of like, hey, I'm sober now. So you're all good, right? And, um, and I have to say, that's how I felt in the beginning, very much so like, all right, my family's good. Like I never got arrested. There was no big drama in my story getting sober. Um, so I'm like, okay, I'm not drinking wine. I'm not hiding bottles behind my basket. Um, they should be cool now. Good to go. Right. And it's been a process of learning how to uh, make my daily amends, live in respect the fact that I did do damage. It's very easy to be well-behaved in an AA meeting, but it's out in the world and it's out in my home that um, that's the real work, right? Yeah, definitely. And I think uh, someone said that it's like the true measure of your program is how well you've integrated it into your life. And a good way to determine if you've done that is not in a meeting necessarily, but it's outside. So yeah, that's kind of right in line with what you said there. Um, Are you comfortable going back with me? Take me to what your life was like back in 2004 before you decided to come in. What was happening in your life? Okay, sure. 
Yeah, that's a really good question. I was thinking about that before we got on here today. Honestly, I felt completely empty inside when I came into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, I was a 45-year-old woman who did not know who she was. I had been drinking for so many years as a way of coping with life. You know, I was one of those classic people who you hear about that you just never felt like you knew the answers, never felt like I fit in. When I started drinking, it was sort of like, ah, I can do this deal called life. And just used it as reinforcement and it was my solution. And what had happened in the last few years of my drinking was the um, the drinking stopped working. The alcohol stopped working. It wasn't reliable anymore. And I was terrified. I And I just felt like, okay, so this is clearly a deal where I need to stop drinking and I couldn't do it. And the last year of my drinking um, really was just, I, I was just a very miserable, unhappy person. Um, something had happened with my son a year before on Halloween night that had led to me saying, I am not drinking ever again. And what I discovered was that last year that I couldn't do it. I My, my self-will was useless. And I got to this point on November 1st, 2004, where I was out of answers. And I was going on a walk with my friend and she said to me, do you think you have a problem with drinking? And for the first time in my life, I said to somebody else, yeah, and I'm scared. I don't know what to do. And she said, would you go to a meeting with me? And I was like, well, okay, I can give it a shot. Like I had nothing to lose. Um, and you know, and obviously it was a, it, it was just the right time. It was the best decision. You know, um, AA caught me at just the right time of complete desperation for a solution. You know, and that's when the, the recovery started right there. Wow. So you went to that meeting and what happened at that meeting? Do you remember your first meeting? I remember some of the people in the meeting. I don't remember what was talked about at all. I do remember that my friend kind of made me sit near the front of the room, which I wanted to hide in the back. And she made sure she got a big book into my hands before the end of the meeting. And at the end of the meeting, they gave out these chips. And when they said this thing about, does anybody... Um, have 24 hours or a desire for a new way of life, all these people in the room looked at me and my friend kind of nudged me like, that's you. So I got up and went over and I got this 24 hour chip from this woman who I found out later, her name was Robin. And these women kind of surrounded me after the meeting, like we do. Um, and all they said to me was come back tomorrow. Um, just try to stay sober today. Try to not drink today and then come back tomorrow and we'll be here for you. And that gave me such a huge surge of hope that I had not had in years because honest to God, if they had said to me, you never have to drink again, I would not have come back because I had been telling myself that every day for at least a year that today's the day I'm never going to drink again. And I had lost the belief that that was possible. But when they just said the little 24 hour day thing, I was like, okay, sure. I could try that. And the woman who was at the meeting was the same woman I, who had picked up the AA hotline when I called to find out where a meeting was. And she said to me, well, the best meeting in Frederick is at 6.45 a.m. at Early Bird at the same church. And I was like, 6.45, that's a little extreme. But what happened was I got up the next morning at five o'clock, ready to go to that meeting. Uh, honest to God, I, I, get, I guess this big surge of hope I got in this little sliver of faith was enough to just get me there. And this woman became my sponsor. I mean, 
honest to God, Mike, all the planets just sort of aligned perfectly for this deal for me. And, and I cannot ever be grateful enough, honestly. Yeah. It's almost miraculous. Like the same yes. thought that, that we're so desperate and there is no solution, you know, completely gets turned around when we start to number one, when the people that you saw in that meeting and the things that they talked about, uh, it kind of gives you hope because you see that other people can do it. And, uh, that was my experience as well, you know, talking to another, another member of, uh, of the program and just trying to understand how they got and stayed sober just for a day, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's miraculous. And, um, thank you for sharing that. And, um, as you started to get into the actual program, like the fellowship is great because you were surrounded by these people and you started to see a new way of life that might work, that might give you some relief. Then the work starts. Tell me about how you started to get into the program. So my sponsor and people who know me know who my first sponsor was. She was kind of a hard ass, if you don't mind me saying that. Um, and so immediately she said to me, you're going to come over to my house and we're going to start working steps. And I was like, okay. And um, so I had homework. Um, so she had me start writing about step one almost immediately. I wrote about powerlessness the first week. The second week, I wrote about unmanageability. Um, and she had me read in the big book and we discussed it. We'd meet once a week. And so we had home, I had homework every week. And she just kept me busy so that instead of sitting around thinking about the fact that I wasn't drinking, she gave me stuff to do to replace that time because I really wasn't ready to. Um, engaged with my family fully. I mean, I thought I was, I mean, I thought I, I'm, I'm there. I'm not drinking. So yeah, I'm here guys. But she, I was also doing a lot of writing and thinking and calling her and, you know, I'd go to work and just be like, how am I going to get through this day? And I spent a lot of time calling her, but yeah, the revelations definitely come through the step work. You know, you don't get this program by osmosis. You don't just go and sit in meetings and expect to get better. The program is the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. The fellowship stuff is great. and But for me in the beginning, it was um, going to my early bird meeting every morning and doing, doing work and maybe going to a meeting at night. And I was just really immersed in, in working the program. Especially that first, that first year, it was all about working those steps, really. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. And I love the approach where you begin writing. You know, it doesn't tell you in the book to write, apart from the, the, the fearless and searching moral inventory in step four, doesn't really mention writing, uh, you know, specifically, but um, that's something that, that I continue to this day to do with uh, men that I work with. Do you feel comfortable talking a little bit about what you wrote about that first step? Um, sure. I mean, when she told me to go and write 25 things that I was powerless, that alcohol had made me powerless over. I wrote about stuff like I couldn't write out Christmas cards without being drunk. I couldn't decorate the Christmas tree. You know, I mean, I got sober November 1st. So Halloween night was always a drinking thing for me, always. And that was one of the reasons that I came into the room the very next day was because here I was again with this mug of coffee filled to the brim with friggin' Merlot, giving out giving out candy and in a horrible mood, just bitter and resentful that I was still drinking like that. I hadn't been able to, to deal with it, but everything I did was sort of like 
Uh, drinking was a key part of it. And I was powerless to drive by Blockbuster because right next door was the liquor store. So I couldn't even go in Blockbuster. That shows how old I am, right? Jeez. I mean, well, it is what it is, right? <laughs> it is. But yeah, there's a lot of those kinds of things. I found the unmanageability piece much more difficult because I had a full-time job. I had a nice home. My husband was very loving and supportive. You know, um, on the outside, everything looked just fine. What was unmanageable was on the inside. And I went to a meeting where I heard a guy say that he had this same struggle. And his his um, sponsor said, why don't you think of it in terms of, is your life unbearable? And I was like, wow, that really resonated for me because I just hurt all the time. I just, I just hurt, you know, and, um, and that helped me write that list. Mm. Well, that's, that's a great way to look at it. Um, I think many of us struggle with that unmanageability piece and you kind of alluded to this, you know, if we think about what our lives look like through the lens of, of other people, um, you know, I still had a job, um, up until the very end, I still had, you know, my wife was still with me and, um, I kind of talked to myself out of getting sober because how could I be, how could I consider myself an alcoholic if I hadn't lost all these things? Uh, but toward the end, uh, the unmanageability piece started to, to, you know, become more clear, you know, the DOIs, the wife leaving these things for me anyway. Okay. So you begin to work the program and, you know, it was, it was mentioned to me that it's kind of like a three-legged stool and you can see these three legs on the back of your coin, uh, unity, which is the fellowship and, and meetings, um, service, which is, uh, you know, helping others and sharing what you've learned and recovery, which is the, the, the actual program. So tell me a little bit about your service. What, what kind of service work are you doing today? I've been involved in service work maybe since the first month of my recovery. Like all of a sudden, my sponsor said to me, you're going to start getting the cakes on Saturday mornings for the celebrations. Cause that was the day we, we do anniversaries on Saturdays. And I was like, what? I don't, I don't want to talk to anybody really except for you. And she said, well, it's time for you to stop looking at the ground and talk to other people and, you know, find out about their anniversary dates and what kind of cake they want and stuff like that. So that was like my springboard into service. And I have had service positions at my home group ever since. What happened that got me beyond that was um, a couple months after I celebrated one year, I was diagnosed with breast cancer and the whole next year. So thank God my sponsor worked me through those 12 steps the first year because I was angry. I was bitter. I was resentful about why the heck did I get cancer after going through all this, right? I should be a blessed person. My life should be a cakewalk now that I'm not drinking. And actually more stuff has happened in sobriety than ever happened when I was drinking, honest to God. But so what happened was I went through the cancer and the treatment and everything. And then, um, so that was in 2006. So January of 2007, my hair was sort of starting to grow back from the chemo. And I was trying to help people in my neighborhood on a situation. And they were like, oh, no, you're still ill from cancer. We don't want your help. And I felt like a really useless human being. And I reached out to my friend, Jean, who has since passed away, but he was really big into service. And I remember calling him and just saying to him, Gene, I'm dying here. Like, I need something. 
to help me um, feel alive again. And he said, you know what? He was the chairman of Intergroup. He said, the secretary's really sick. I need a new secretary. You're my secretary. I was like, okay. So I got into Intergroup and I've been involved in Intergroup for years. And um, I stepped away for a couple of years just to find out about what all this stuff is with the district. So long story short, I got involved in district stuff. And right now I'm the area finance chair for area 29. And, and I also do other kinds of service, but I love service because I have met so many awesome people um, beyond the Frederick area. Mm. It's really great. You know, you go to these out-of-state conventions and of course the past year, it's all been on Zoom, but that's okay. You know, I've been able to connect with really cool people in Maine, um, all over the place. And that's been through doing service. And it's what a wonderful opportunity for me to give back right? That's yeah. how I look at it. Jean, who was so instrumental in getting me into service, passed away very suddenly. And I felt as though he left a big hole in Frederick. And I kind of felt like I had to be one of the people who stepped in and helped fill that hole. And so I just really want service to always be a big part of my story going forward. Yeah. Yeah. Service well, first of all, thank you for all of the service you do in your area. It's wonderful. And, um, you know, service brings purpose for me anyway. It really provides a true purpose in my life. And um, that plus the program, program that allows me to look at what I've done, what my part in, in that was and what my character defects are and how I can have those removed. But then I, I begin to add so much value to my life through the, through the practice of serving others. And uh, it's a beautiful thing. How has the program helped you outside of AA? As the Daily Reflection talks about, you know, we, we can't just be good AAs in AA. Right. We need to take that home with us. How has your life changed outside of AA? So I think one of the most important things has been the improved relationship with my two sons. You know, one of the first things I said to my sponsor when I met her was, well, I've been a really good mom. And she said to me, well, we'll see about that. And I was like, Wow. I don't like this. Like I knew at that point, that's what a resentment was. Cause that I got an immediate resentment of how dare you say that you don't even know me. You don't know my family. But as we started working the steps, especially step four and five, where she kind of flipped the table on me. Right. And you, you know, you have to look at yourself and what is your part in these things? And I had never done that before. I was so bitter. I was like the world's biggest victim walking into AA. And I felt like I was a doormat for my family. And I've done all this for you. And I can reward myself with drinking and blah, blah, blah. And what I came to realize was I was not there in the moment with my children. You know, my boys were 11 and 13 when I got sober. And um, they were going through stuff in their lives. And I they would talk to me and I would be thinking, when can I have another drink? That's what I would be thinking. I would be not there for them. And I am there for them now. And I have worked really hard on being a present mother for them. Instead of a codependent mother, just giving them whatever they want, just so that they leave me alone, honestly. Um, instead, I give them love and compassion and um, instead of stuff. So... That's been a real important thing where it talks about boundary setting in this reading. 
that's been really important for me to be able to set healthy boundaries for myself with other people. I also go to Al-Anon for that reason, because there are people in my family who are alcoholic. And um, my first instinct is to send them money, help lift them out. You know, and my sponsor has said to me, you're just handing them a shovel and helping them dig. And I've, I've had to really work very hard on that. So thank goodness there's there's other programs that can help me learn how to set healthy boundaries. Great. Right? I, I love it. And, and it's so important too. you know, as a member of the program, I'm immersed in a world where I'm surrounded by people that are alcoholics. So even if I don't have them directly in my life, I need Al-Anon. I need some program to help me deal with, you know, alcoholic thinking, you know, outside myself. So yeah, yeah that's a great recommendation. And speaking of recommendations, I'd love to ask guests what advice they might have for folks that are listening that maybe they're not in the program yet. Maybe they haven't decided that they're, they're one of us. Um, what would you tell somebody in that state? That's a really good question, Mike. And it's something I've thought about uh, a lot with newcomers, you know, before I got sober, I had a brother who had been in AA for seven years, and I used to be really close to him before that. And I just sort of felt like, well, he was a real alcoholic. He went to jail. He had really bad things happen. He really screwed up. He didn't know how to manage his drinking as well as I did. And I got to that point where I couldn't kid myself anymore. I was incapable of managing my drinking. And I had to go, what helped me and what I encourage others to do who are brand new is go in with an open mind. Okay, sure. I sat there and I looked at the steps on the wall and I saw the word God sprinkled all over there. And I did not have a good relationship with God when I came in. And thank goodness that this program lets you create your own relationship with your own higher power. And by the time I got to step 12, I had a brand new relationship with a loving higher power who I really believe views me as I'm a child of God today. And God doesn't want me to drink today. And my God is there for me no matter what. Through all the bad stuff I've been through, I've had a higher power to lean into and who hasn't let me fall. And and I just ask newcomers to try to set aside that contempt prior to investigation. The world is so much more cynical today than when I got sober. I'm sorry, that's just my feeling. And it's so much easier to just say, this isn't for me. This isn't going to, you're not the right sponsor. Blah, blah. They're going to have all these little things thrown in your path of why this will not work for you. I just ask people to just give it a chance and go in with an open mind. Um, yeah. Set aside the contempt and give it a chance. Yeah. That's, that's great advice. Well, this has been a wonderful discussion. Is there anything else you'd like to share with the audience before we wrap? You know, I could go on for hours about how much I love AA. I'm really a big cheerleader because it's it's not changed the outside of my life, really, um, but it's changed my perspective. And that's what I think AA is, is it changes your perspective. You come in and think, I'm not such a bad person. Well, you're not a bad person, but you have a disease. And I actually did think I was a bad person when I came in. I thought I was a loser who couldn't figure out life. And the problem was I needed my perspective shifted out of me and into how can I be of service to others and wanting to willingly do that instead of feeling like it's a burden. Mm. That's the last thing I thought that this program would do for me. And 
It's an amazing blessing to feel that sense of purpose today. Has not, you know, I lost the big house in sobriety. I lost the big job in sobriety. You know, I went through cancer for goodness sakes. There's been a lot of stuff that that has happened. A lot of stuff on my fears list has happened, but I have not had to drink over any of it. And leaned into the program, leaned into my higher power, and I hope to stay around for a long time and keep helping other alcoholics. So Fantastic. I know that you're going to help folks with what we just shared today. Thank you so much for spending time with me. I truly appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to find us online, you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash daily reflection podcast. You can find us on Twitter at daily reflector. You can read stories of recovery from our community at blog.dailyreflectionpodcast.com. Please don't forget to give us a rating on your podcast app. We greatly appreciate it. Have a great day.